You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. Hey there, I want to invite you back towards a seat. We're going to be diving into our series called Stir It Up. Over the next several weeks, we'll be going through First and Second Peter. These are both letters from the Apostle Peter written to Greek-speaking believers scattered over Asia Minor. And uh, I've taken the main theme for uh, this series from Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And it says, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And really, it's one of those things where for a person who is a Christ follower, a person who wants to put into practice the things that, that God has laid out for us to do, it's not like they just activate themselves in our life. Uh, the desire to obey Jesus and the action that follows in obedience does not just kick in and we automatically do these things. The gifts of the Holy Spirit that are placed inside of us by Jesus don't just get manifested. They don't just show up. Each of these things gets stirred up in us. We get to choose to do something. In many ways, in the same way we would choose which restaurant do you want to go to, you have a cognitive decision to be able to say where you want to head, where you want to go, what you want to get. And in doing so, if you can think of it as, I'm going to stir myself up to put on Christ today. I'm going to stir myself up to look to do good in Jesus' name today. I'm going to stir myself up to encourage people by the way that I live and the way I act and the way I talk. And I'm also going to take responsibility to stir others up as well. This does not mean to provoke people in a negative way. Okay? This means to encourage them in their relationship with Jesus too. It's something that happens where we, we care for ourselves, but we also help care for each other. The main themes in these two letters are, are very similar. It is to persevere in suffering. As we're following after Christ, we will experience persecution. And this can be more than just having our feelings hurt. Having our feelings hurt is not necessarily the kind of persecution that Peter is talking about. It's the kind of persecution where yeah, it can have an effect on us, but often the persecution that is put in front of us is stuff that is is compared to the rest of the world and what's happening other places in the world where their physical well-being is being threatened. Uh, it's, it's different. And I don't know that, I, I don't say I hope we can, you know, advance to the kind of persecution they have in Turkey. You know, not long ago, a few years ago, some friends who were in Turkey working with the Foursquare Church there were martyred for their faith in just a very, very terrible way. And yet at the same time, the church in Turkey has been growing by leaps and bounds. And it's often when the Christian church will persevere through suffering and will persevere and to declare the truth of Jesus in a way that is also linked to the love of God by the way that we live and not trying to make this huge macro splash. That the temptation that... that is kind of there in, in the world that we live, is to go as big and as loud and as flashy as we potentially can. It's keep, keep in mind that when Jesus came, he did not show up in Jerusalem, you know, riding on the back of a, of a white stallion with the fanfare and trumpet saying, here's the king of kings. He showed up in Bethlehem, a nothing podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And he was born in a, in a manger. He was born in a stable in a manger. And it was a very humble beginnings. When Jesus often did his ministry, it was in micro. He, he dealt with people on a one-to-one -one basis. And if we will focus on the person in front of us, instead of trying to make huge sweeping change, we will see God be the one to do sweeping change. 
person by person by person by person. But it's also something that will require every single one of us to engage in that. Other themes. Put our hope in Christ. He is our source of life. He will never leave us or forsake us. Be obedient to Christ in everything you know to be obedient to him in. Put into practice what you know. Live holy in all areas. Holy is a word means set apart or live sacred, dedicated to God for his purpose instead of just common purposes. Our main thrust of scripture today is going to be talking about what does that mean and why do we need to do this or why does this happen in our life? Uh, the last, or the, the first part of this, this chapter, the sum up version is we have a great inheritance through Christ in the gospel good news, the good news that we can receive salvation from our sins and we can receive life in Christ. And that this, this plan of salvation was a mystery. It was something that had been hidden from generations and then was revealed through Christ and then to the church, as we see in the book of Acts. Uh, also, we talked about that following Christ requires persevering through trials. Tiffany touched on, we will experience trials and difficulties. And in James, it actually says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because they go to produce perseverance and character in you. And so God is not the one who tests us. He's not the one who puts us through the ringer, but he uses those things for his good and for the good of us and, and helping to, to mature us. And all that leads into the, the therefore, which goes into the section, we're going to be 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through probably the third verse of, of chapter 2, should we, 1, 13 through 16. We start with a therefore. And just a, a, if you ever see therefore, it's referring to what was just said in the previous verses. So you can go back and read over that. So, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The, the, therefore, prepare your minds for action. The, the actual Greek phrase here says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Do a lot of studying that never makes it into the message. And I got to tell you, as I'm looking, what does this mean to gird up the loins of your mind? Tunics. And if they were going to go like for a run or go into battle, they round themselves in a way so that they could have their legs free. And uh, true story, I'm in my office studying, and I'm trying to think, what would this look like if I was trying to, to I don't wear tunics much, but I do happen to have a uh, Jedi Master cloak in my office. And so I put the cloak on, and I'm following the instructions on what, how you gird up the, the, the cloak around you. And it's like, you're supposed to take it and wrap it up. And then it says, and then when he walks into my office, she didn't knock nothing. And I've just got the, the diaper part up, and I've cranked it up, and I'm standing there. Got my Bible here, and I've got, hold and she goes, what are you doing? I'm girding up the loins of my mind. So the English translation of the idiom is prepare yourself for action. Okay? But you're not going to forget Louie in a diaper with a Jedi cloak, are you? No. But it's the picture of you're getting ready for something that will require action. And that's something that is intentional. It's not just something that happens. So prepare your minds for action. Get ready and be ready. Peter's encouragement is to be prepared to live holy. More than anything else, it's imperative that we do not go straight into the 
So be holy, and then immediately your brain can almost translate holy so God will love you. Be holy so you're not messing up. Be holy so you're not missing the mark. I believe when we look at the, the, the whole of Scripture, when it's talking about the gospel good news that's been given to us, we get these commands to obey that are rooted in God's incredible love for us. May we never forget God so loved us, the world, that he gave his only son, Jesus, that who would ever believe in him would not die but would have eternal life. Think about this. God's invitation to live according to his commands is rooted in his love. And so instead of it being, I want you to be holy so I can love you, it is, I love you so much and I want the best for you, I'm inviting you to be holy like I am. Walk like I do. Set yourself apart to me because I love you so much. Think about the relationships that you are in. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's you have kids. Maybe it's your, it's your family of origin. Maybe it's your friends. What if we were to translate some of this and say, because I love my wife so much, I will be faithful to her. I'm not going to be faithful to her so she will love me. I'm going to be faithful to her because of the, it, it comes from the love. Does that make sense? When we give instructions to our children and they may not understand and they break out that three-year-old response of, why? It's like, because I love you and I want the best for you. When my one-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Solomon, takes, I mean, homeboy is just like a, a walking disaster most of the time. And it's not because he's a mess. He's just, he's, uh, he's got his dad's sense of adventure. He's very agile. He's very nimble. He's very coordinated. But he walks into a room and he says, what's dangerous in here? It's like, we're up at the lake last week doing some barbecue. And he's like, propane. <laughs> yeah, I want that. And he waits till nobody's looking, and he's over there, and he's, he's got the, the door open to the barbecue, and he's trying to get it. He's in there. It's like, Sully, no, no. You can't do this. I love you. I don't want you to get hurt. So, okay, you got knives. <laughs> and literally, he's not going for the spoons on the table. He's looking. He grabs a spoon. Nope. There's not sharp. I'll take a fork. That's got tines. And he, then he's walking around. It's like, no, I love you. I don't want you to do this. I want you to leave this for me. You're going to leave me to electricity, he says. Okay, I can do electricity. I can do heights, too. And it's, at some point, there's so many things that he wants to do that he can't do appropriately. I mean, at some point, he's going to be able to. The instructions that his parents give him could often sound like, no, 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 stop, no, no, a no, no, somebody grab him. God gives us the instruction, not because he wants us to just shut up and behave, but he wants the very best for us, and he knows that if we walk according to his commandments, we will experience blessing from walking with him. And because he loves us, he disciplines us. I can remember a very trying time going through with my family when uh, my son Joey was getting in a lot of trouble in high school. And there was a, a particular point where we're sitting outside a courtroom, and we weren't there to, you know, visit. We were there because we had to. And he leaned over, and he said, you know what? This is terrible. You never raised me to do this. I chose to do these things that have gotten me into this spot. I wish I would have listened when you were directing me away from the stuff. I didn't see why. I thought you were trying to limit 
people around me. You tried to limit me from the choices I had if I had only listened. When God gives us instructions, when he gives us directions, when he invites us to holiness, it's not so that we can separate ourselves from people because we don't want to get their icky on us. We don't want to be around. No, God calls us to be people who are in the world, who are connected to the people in this world, but we are not living according to the same value system as the people of this world. How else can we be light unless we are in the dark? How else can we be salt unless we're in a spot that has no seasoning? Jesus invites us to engage and to love the people around us in a way that is not compromising of our faith. It, and this is, it goes way beyond trying to uh, invoke a moral code or, or teach people moral principles. This is teaching people the, the great value and love that God has for them. And we show them that by the way we live around them. And our faith may it never be designed, may it never be defined by the things that we don't do. May it be defined by the great love of Christ that flows in us. And when people see and figure out that we're Christian, it makes sense. It's like, ah, I see Jesus. Peter says, be holy as Christ is holy. It says, because of his, God's great love for us. Thank you for your love, Lord. When Peter says that, he's quoting Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. When God in the, in the commandment says, I want you to be holy in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words, to be set apart for God's use. If we look at holiness as some impossible or unreachable goal, we often will not even aspire to it. And I can't do that. To be holy is to be dedicated to God's purposes because of his love for us. And we aim to do that in every way we know how to do it. Different ways we're to be holy. In our identity. Who does God say that I am? I'm a son. I'm a person who is valued, not because of a role I fulfill, but because Jesus placed value on me enough that he would die for me. My identity is who he ascribes it to be. It's important for us to pursue knowing what our identity is in Christ and to not allow anything to corrupt that. I think one of the things that stands out to me the most, if you happen to do any time on the social media, Number one, you can thank Al Gore for creating the interwebs that we bring us this in the first place. But Al Gore was a guy back in the day. Anyway, and, and, uh, <laughs> on the social medias, different platforms, you will find appeal after appeal after appeal. Do you want something different? Do you, do you, are you trying to figure out who you are? Are you, you know, you've experienced this, but what you really want to do is this. And it's an attempt to invite you towards someone else's definition of your life. Of Here's what success looks like. You know, have you been held down by the people around you? You know, that type of thing where it's like, you know, shake off that, those family and those friends that have been weighing you down and push on towards something else. And often there is a little kernel in there of someone saying, I want to tell you who you can be. And I'll show you how you can really find fulfillment, how you can really find happiness. And it's an alternative path. I don't believe social media is of the devil. I think anything that's good comes from God, and anything that God makes good can be twisted. And so there's always going to be something twisted wherever there's been something good, okay? But identity, to be holy in who God says I am. In my relationships, I want to live every relationship to the glory of God, reflecting God's heart with my family, with my friends, with, with others, that my relationships would be set apart and be able to say, that reflects Jesus. 
with my finances, that I would do my finances with integrity and with honor, that I would be accountable in what I'm doing. One of the reasons Joni and I do, we follow the financial peace plan. We, we do something every month called every dollar. And the reason we want to do this every dollar thing is, number one, to know what's happening with our money, but also that we would be accountable, that we would recognize every single one of us is called to be a steward or a good handler of what God's given to us. It's finances, it's relationships, it's time, it's energy, it's the things we do to be a good steward in that. We're called to be holy in our sexuality, to be pure and to be set apart, to recognize that God made us to be sexual creatures, but that that's, being a sexual creature does not mean we act like a dog in heat or that we are subject to whatever urge we happen to have. I felt, you know, in Paul very pointedly in, in the church to Corinth, the letter to the Corinthians, says, you know, the whole thing about the fact that we have sexual organs doesn't mean we have to just use them. He said the, the proverb that the Corinthians would use was, well, the, you know, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And what they were saying is, you know what, if you feel a sexual urge, you know, hey, that's why, that's why you have them. That's why you have your body the way it is. Just go do what you're going to do. And Paul says, don't you know, when you unite your body to another, you become one with that person? And apart from God setting apart for a husband and a wife in marriage, it becomes something that unites people and unites us in ways that are destructive. Think about this. This God loves us so much, he says, be holy as I'm holy. He's not just trying to say and anything else. He's just very prude and he's very old-fashioned. No, God does not want us to go through the brokenness of experiencing a oneness that is ripped apart time after time after time after time. And I hadn't planned on necessarily going down this road, but I can tell you, when I was in junior high school, there were about 10 identified sexually transmitted infections. STDs, we called them back in the day, before they turned diseases into infections. And now hearing upwards of 40 to 50, as we have become a more sexualized world, the damage done to physical bodies with the just, you know, food for the stomach, stomach for food, has become great. And this is not to stigmatize or to point fingers and say, if that's you, you know what, you're dirty. It's to say, God makes us holy, makes us clean. And no matter what your past is, when you come to Jesus, he says, the old is gone, the new has come. He brings healing and he brings transformation and he makes us new. And we have a break that we no longer have to live treating our bodies, integrity, our identity, our relationship, our finances, our sexuality as though it's common. I can remember sitting with a couple who were preparing for their, their uh, wedding as uh, premarital counseling. And the young lady said, I wish somebody would have told me that this was something that was special, that sexuality was special. No one ever said it to me. It was just that thing where it's like, you know, in high school, people treated it like an Olympic sport. Just go and do your thing with whoever. No one ever told me this is something that's special. Peter's invitation here is holistic. It touches every area of our life. And the invitation, it's not a political agenda. It's not a moralistic agenda. It's God saying, I want the very best for you because I love you so much. Be holy as I am holy. Be holy in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words, in your work. One of the things that... Uh, when I have held jobs in the real world versus being a pastor, the thing I experience more than any other 
is if people kind of located the, 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 church, the Christians in the organization, inevitably, they were the slackers. I don't know if that was just my experience, but it was like, oh, you're a Christian? I wouldn't have known you work. You do your job. It's like, well, having a person who's a Christian and working for, I work for the state of Nevada, said this person, instead of doing the job, sits at their desk and reads their Bible during the day. Sounds holy, right? I don't think you got hired by the state of Nevada to read your Bible. You got hired to do a job, and you're reflecting Christ to people around you by the way you do your job. Does this make sense? So to be holy unto God is to dedicate ourselves to him, and there is time to read your Bible. I encourage you to do it, but don't do it when you're supposed to be doing something else. That doesn't reflect on Jesus. That doesn't reflect holiness, and it actually it, it reads badly upon Jesus because that's not how he rolls. Jesus was known as a carpenter and a carpenter's son. In order for him to be known as that, he had to have done some woodworking. Jesus, you know, start getting into the extra biblical. What happened to Jesus between 12 and 30? I'm guessing homeboy made some chairs and tables. I'm guessing he was doing the work. He was doing things that he'd learned from his father, Joseph. Yeah, he was doing other training, but he was doing the work. We see the apostle Paul with his job. He was a tent maker. And as he's doing his tent making, he worked from early in the morning till lunchtime. Then he'd go at lunchtime and go over to this lecture hall and he'd teach people about Jesus. Then after work, after the lecture, he'd go and finish his work day. And people would come and they'd say, hey, while he's working, hey, Paul, we need you to come and, and pray for these people to be healed. And he's like, homeboy, I am working. I have a job to do. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm doing. And so it got to the point where he would take, you know, the hanky that he had around his neck. He's got his do-rag, takes it off, rubs it in sweat, and says, go rub this on the person. And it says people would be healed. That is not a new theology. It's like, so I'm just supposed to take my sweat rags and put them on people? No, Paul was just saying, I am called to be working right now. I want you to pray. You know what? There's nothing magical about me. You go pray and take this and just put it on him as a sign for faith. Let's keep going. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 22. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I'm going to just put a stop right there. This says, if you have. Verse 17 starts with if. Oftentimes in the Greek, the word if can be translated as since. So it's since you call upon the, God the Father who judges all according to their deeds. Conduct yourselves in fear. This does not say you need to be afraid of God. Another word means reverent fear. To be reverent before God. To consider that we're going to be called to account for what we've been doing. It's nice to be able to kind of sometimes see when God calls us to live and to do business in his name, if we think of him as our master, we can also think of him as, as our boss or the one who's going to call us to account. 
I know many of you serve in the role where you are employees. Many others serve in the role where you are a boss. Now, as a boss, if you have an employee who is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, you will call them to account, not because you hate them, but because they have a role they're supposed to be fulfilling. This is saying, because God, who is the one that we follow, will hold us to account, make sure you're doing what you're doing with reverence and fear. Again, not to be afraid, but to be thinking, there are consequences to doing poorly with what God's given me. I love where it talks about, since you are, while you're here in exile, in this place that is not your home, while you're here, don't live like this is the place where you, that everything that is ever going to happen for you will happen. We're living on purpose in the place where we are, looking to bring glory to God. I love how it gives the image of, of, of being ransomed. You have been called to be holy because you have been ransomed with something incredibly precious. Because of God's great love, he offered his son Jesus as a sacrifice so that Jesus' death would pay for our freedom, so that we would not be slaves to sin anymore, but we would instead be slaves to righteousness. And therefore, we haven't been bought by something that's common, like silver or gold, but with the blood of Christ. That is a motivator about why we do what we do and why we live the way that we live. The blood of Jesus is priceless. It is worth beyond measure. And he gave himself for us. We have a Chinese son. He lived with us for three years. He's back in China now. His name is Frank. That's his American name. He chose that one. And there was a time his parents are very, very, very wealthy. When Frank was six years old, he was kidnapped. And he was held by gangsters for money. And his parents did everything they could to raise enough money to be able to pay for their son. They had, uh, within China, at that time, you had to qualify, make a certain amount of money before you would be allowed to, to have a child. His parents were forced into four abortions before they were able to have Frank. They did not want to get them. They was like, the government said, this is how it's going to work. So Frank was their golden boy. He was their golden child. And when he was taken away, they did everything they could to try and rescue him. And they're raising all the money that they can because they want to ransom him and bring him back from captivity. One thing you got to know about Frank is he's an elusive little guy. He escaped from his kidnappers. He climbed out a window and he bailed. And so as his parents are trying to pay the ransom, at one point, little Franklin shows up. And the bad guys didn't even know he was gone. <laughs> I love that story. But it gives us a picture of Jesus ransomed us. A price had to be paid for your sins to be forgiven, for you to walk free. It's one thing for us to declare, who the, you know, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Yes, I'm free in Jesus. You're free in Jesus because he died for you, because he paid the price for sin. He ransomed us. And we have faith and hope in God, the Father, through Jesus because of that. 1 Peter 23 and 24, 123 and 24 since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of Christ, for all flesh is like grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. One more time. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth of a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You purified your soul to sincerely and deeply love brothers and sisters to, to, with brotherly love, and so do so earnestly, fiercely, on purpose, as a, as a result of obedience. This type of love is not a feeling or an emotion. It is a choice. In the same way that we are encouraged to stir up the giftings that God has placed within us, we are to stir up love for others. And we make a choice as I will love people. I don't know if you've ever experienced a love that comes from Jesus that did not originate within here. But when you are able to love someone that is unlovable, you are doing what God does to us before we are lovable. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Jesus gave himself for us while we were still caught in sin, while we were still a mess. I'm going to use Solomon, my grandson, as an, as an example here, not because I don't love him, but because homeboy gets into messes, okay? He is, and not because his mom and dad are trying to keep him clean, but he's got this thing that when he's dirty, you know what he wants? Love. <laughs> and he will literally, he does this thing where he'll see Joni or myself, and he's just, you know, head to toe covered in whatever he's been eating, whatever he's been rolling around in, or who knows what, okay? And he always wants to know with an 18, you know, 16, 18-month-old. And he's, he'll see us, and he goes, ooh, ooh. It's like, come over to Poppy. He's got this little thing where he bends over to the left, and he's coming. And he's like, he just, it's like, you know, Weezer! It's like, I love him, but I don't want to touch him when he looks. It's like this. And she'll sweep in and grab him. And it's like, you don't even know what's on you. But it doesn't matter. Because, mama, I love the baby and I don't like the God loves us when we are in the middle of our worst. We are knee deep in the worst that we could be in. God loved us. And he says, that's an example of the kind of love. I heard uh, some encouragements. One of them was, to not be indifferent towards the people we encounter. It's the lowest form of contempt is to, to disregard a person and their humanity. Whether it be a person who's got a sign holding up in a parking lot, you know, will work for food or anything helps or anything like that. Other people that we just don't have time for, they bother us. We don't like their, you know, fill in the blank. But to treat people as valuable made in the image of Christ, even if that's not how they're living. I love how Peter says, we're supposed to do this because everybody's going to die pretty quick anyway. Every, this whole world is perishing. It's all falling away. It's like grass. Me and my cousin John used to, um, speaking of grass, we used to uh, mow lawns. And you thought it was going somewhere else, didn't you? No. <laughs> We used to mow lawns, and at the end of the day, we were supposed to go and find an empty field and dump it without people seeing us. <laughs> I didn't know this was illegal. You can blame my uncle. Uh, but we're doing it, and there's one time where it's like, we've got a ton of grass. We don't know what we're supposed to do with it because our normal spot is being watched by the police. So who knows why? So we went to... Statue of limitations is way past. Um, we went to a dumpster that had just been emptied, and we dumped all the grass in the dumpster, and we lit the grass on fire. I was 16. This is normal for a 16-year-old. And we burned it. And it's just, and you know something about grass? It's kind of that summer wet. It burned with the force and heat of a thousand suns. And at some point, it's like, 
it's not going to go anywhere. We shut the top. It was a metal top, and it starts to, to die out. It's like, we need to get out of here. But they get there to, and look at it. There's nothing much left inside. It's just all burned up. That's a picture. Everything is going to end up burned up. We never did it again, I can tell you that. <laughs> Last part of our message today, 1 Peter chapter 2. Because of all this, all that we've heard so far, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As we stir it up, we're also putting things away. Put away malice, put away deceit, put away hypocrisy, put away envy, put away slander. These are all not demonic things. These are parts of our flesh. This is what is issued to us when we are born in this earth suit. We are born with these things in us. We are not born inherently good and then the world scars us. We are born with this in us. And as we want to walk with Jesus and put Christ on each day, there is also the putting away of these things. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Because this gets in the way of loving one another earnestly. Our flesh will always oppose the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's very active, but usually it's, it's very passive. I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. If you have a purpose, I want to wake up early in the morning so I can be, spend time with Jesus. And you, maybe you normally wake up every morning at 6 o'clock. The morning that you've set apart to wake up and spend time with Jesus, your body's like, you might die if you wake up. You just need a few more minutes. God knows your intentions. Maybe tomorrow you should start this. Your flesh will resist being obedient to Jesus. It's not just the dark forces of evil that work to conspire to keep us away from God's purposes. They do, but they're working with very ample material. Our flesh, the part of us that will always resist and we're called to put that away, to make conscious decision to not engage with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, etc. And instead, we're supposed to crave the good stuff, like newborn babies. Long for the basic building blocks of life with Christ that will feed the ability to be obedient to Christ so you can grow up and be mature in your salvation in Christ. As you are there sitting, listen to this, I wonder what you're taking away. What does it look for you like for you to be stirring up or fanning the flame of Jesus in your life? I'm wondering, what, is it, what are you hearing when it's like to be holy because of God's great love for you? Think, what does it look like for you to be loving others earnestly? But how you will put away all the, the flesh things that get in the way of that. Every one of us has to answer how we will put feet to those things. How we will make a choice to walk differently as we follow after Jesus, compelled first and foremost, first and last, by the love of God through Jesus Christ. When I was a little kid in the 70s, there was a lot of buttons. We had the in second grade, they came out with the ILAC button. I-A-L-A-C. I am lovable and capable. And I can remember little buttons that said, smile, Jesus loves you. Remember the guys at the football games who held up the John 3.16 sign? This guy had a, like a rainbow wig on, and he'd get up and he'd shake it for Jesus. And it's like, 
God so loved the world. And it was not an uncommon thing for people to just come up to perfect strangers and say, hey, God loves you. Jesus loves you. The longer we go in our relationship with God, we can start focusing on the stuff that we're supposed to do because of that and miss the fact, oh, this is rooted 100% in his love. Don't forget, God loves you desperately. He values you desperately. And as a result, we will value each other in the same way. Don't forget, God loves you desperately. Jesus died for our sins that we might live for him in righteousness. You are lovable in Christ. And smile, Jesus loves you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the good and perfect gift that you do each day. And Lord, as you inspire and invite us and challenge us to be holy as you're holy, remind us that we are to do this fully rooted in the love that comes from God. That we're not called to be moralistic, legalistic individuals, but we're called to be people who reflect your character and who love unlovable people, recognizing that you loved us first. I pray, Lord, that you show us how to put away the junk and each day stir up that which you placed inside of us. Set it in concrete in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, of your love for us, that we can be sure that we're sure that we're sure of your love and that you are actively working by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring about your life in and through and around us in Jesus' name. With your head still bowed, I just want to say, if you've never started with Jesus, we would love to invite you to do so. In the foyer, there are little packets, kind of manila folders that say yes. And we want to give you an opportunity, if you've never started with Jesus, to grab one of those packets. And it kind of explains to you, this is what it looks like for you to begin to walk with Jesus and to put into practice following him and being one of his sons or being one of his daughters. And so if that's you today, we want to partner with you in that, but also to give you this you know, just to be able to take. And then we'd love for you to be able to meet with the people who are praying in the back of the sanctuary after we're done. Just to say, yeah, I want to say yes to Jesus today. But Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you're doing. We commit ourselves to you and we offer ourselves for your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's prayer available in the back by the trellis with Cole and Lisa. And let me bless you with this blessing as we go. Numbers chapter 6, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Be holy because Jesus is holy because he loves you so much. Have a great rest of your Sunday. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's web at hillside4.org.